Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 396. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today we've got Kevin Rickstraw. Hey Kevin. Hi. This week on the show, we'll be taking a trip to Park City and covering Strawberry Mansion, a film that's premiering at this year's Sundance Film Festival, which is happening virtually and in person right now. Uh, we'll also be going over some more watching on the watch list and going over this week's new releases on VOD and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Please remember to review us on iTunes if you get a moment. That would be super helpful. Uh, big, exciting announcement. Right at the top of the show here. We are bringing back Ryan Watches a Movie. Oh, yeah. It's triumphant return. will be happening very soon. So I'm not going to like... We oh, haven't boy. recorded it yet. So I'm not going to like throw out a date just yet because you know how these things are with Ryan. They could fall through at a moment's notice. Real close. Feels real close. Yeah, I I think it's gonna happen. It it should be happening. So stay tuned. Um, next week's episode of this show is probably when I'll announce the date. So I'm I'm hoping that we can record it this week and then release it next week. That's that's the goal. So stay tuned for that. Uh, with that being said, I think we can dive into our review. Again, we're talking about Strawberry Mansion. Now, this premiered a couple days ago at the Sundance Film Festival, where uh, I think it's been met with a pretty positive reception so far. The The way that the Sundance is happening this year is that there's a premiere screening, which will happen, and then there's one secondary screening. So two two screenings. Uh, unfortunately, both of those have happened for this movie. So if you didn't get a chance to see it, you, you're probably going to have to wait a little bit. But I think that it's a safe bet to assume that this movie is going to get picked up by someone if it hasn't been already and hopefully released sometime this year. This is directed by Kentucker Oddly and Albert Burney. I have a synopsis here. In a future where the government records dreams and taxes them, a dream auditor gets caught up in the dreams of an aging eccentric. Kevin, this this is a movie that seems right up your alley. This is this this is firing on all Kevin cylinders. So we'll start it with you. What did what were your initial impressions of Strawberry Mansion? It was everything I wanted it to be. Yeah. I imagine <laughs> I imagine so. <laughs> like if you could put a Kevin movie, like if you can define a Kevin movie, it would just be Strawberry Mansion, I think. This is like right <laughs> pretty, up there. It's pretty close. Yeah. I mean, in in all honesty, it, it it pretty much just comes down to anything that Albert Bernie makes as a filmmaker. It feels like it's tailor made for me. I've liked everything he's ever done. Well, you're a you're a big oddly guy too. Like you're you're a fan of. You see, I'm, if I remember correctly, you're a fan of pretty much everything he does, and you're a big no budge supporter too. Correct, and a big time Bernie fan. And then those two guys got together for Silvio, mm-hmm. which was great. Mm-hmm. And now they're back together again for Strawberry Mansion, which I think the this movie, uh, the the thing that that gets me, and pretty much always gets me with his films, is there's so much creativity and like DIY work Mm -hmm. in terms of like camera trickery, uh, set design, art direction, 
production design, you know, all of these things yeah. show up in these movies, whether it's Silvio, uh, the Beast pageant, a number of things. Here, it just looks like it's even more and it's bigger. Like there's a lot more going on. I mean, when when you look at this movie, when you when you look at what the premise is and what it, it what's encompassed in this movie, it's it's very ambitious. This is probably the most ambitious film that these two guys have done, either in collaboration or individually. And th- the outcome, the result, is pretty incredible. <laughs> like they did such an incredible job. I mean, when you have these two these two extremely talented people together and they just the fact that they had this script that was probably on paper when you read it you're just like how how can they possibly make that and then just for them to just be like hey let's let's just figure out how to do it let's figure out how to turn these people's faces into comets and (laughs) like create all of these very intricate sets and costumes and like have wolf people and mouse people and a frog playing a saxophone and uh, like all of these kind of really out there visuals and the fact that they were just like we'll figure it out we'll figure out how to do it and they did it and it looks amazing like it looks so good like all of the effects work all of the production design all of that stuff looks so incredible it it has if you're not familiar like with Albert Bernie's style, I would I would I think it's safe to compare him to like early Michelle Gondry stuff where he just has this very kind of DIY mentality and yeah. everything looks very handcrafted and uh just oozing with creativity. So I think that if you're into the early stuff of Michelle Gondry, I think that you'll latch on to a lot of what Albert Bernie's doing right now. Yeah. And I like it with the, with the Sundance screening, you know, you get the little filmmaker intro and he was essentially talking about, you know, on a Friday you go in to the Hollywood video or the blockbuster and, you know, you have all these VHS tapes up there on the wall and you're checking them all out. And you know, the, the kind of the cliches that, you know, they take you to a different, different world and all that. And that's what I like about his movie so much is I think he does that incredibly well to the point where there's so much creativity and he's able with his team, you know, all the people that he's working with, he's able to create so many different things that honestly, like at the beginning of this movie from the, from the outset where Kentucky oddly is in this completely like red room. Everything's, you know, this like pinkish red and you're just like, okay, they, they can probably create anything. And who knows what the hell I'm going to see over the course of the next hour and a half. I could literally see anything. And I, I, I just love how he taps into that, like that childish creativity and imagination. The thing that, uh, that kind of strikes me and I, and I think that maybe something that, at least for me as a viewer, like whenever I go into a movie that I know is dealing with like dream logic and a lot of the movie takes place within the world of dreams, I'm just like, 
I, I I don't know. Like that's it's typically not for me because I think that a lot of movies lean too heavily into that like dream logic, dream world type of stuff, and it all feels so inconsequential to me because I know that it's all just a dream. But in this movie, I think that that the directors craft this really great balance where they don't lean too heavily. They don't go too far overboard into the dream world. It's just enough. It's just enough to get the point across before they bring it back into, you know, reality and have uh, Kentuck Rodley's character wake up from his slumber or come out of the little dream viewing contraption that he has. So I think that it, they, they craft a really great balance. I mean, I loved all the dream sequence stuff. I thought it was completely on point, but they didn't overdo it either. They didn't go too far down the rabbit hole. In the Q&A, he, they say that uh, they actually had 30 more minutes of content filmed for this movie that they ended up cutting, and it was all like dream sequence stuff. Mm-hmm. And they decided, like, it, we just went... They designed it that way so that they could sort of make changes in editing to see what fit best. But in the end, yeah, they ended up getting rid of about 30 minutes of the dream stuff. And just a lot of this, you know, a lot of the, the production design, the the props and the sets, you know, they all have a very handmade quality to them. But there's also some stuff that's just really, really phenomenal that I thought was kind of surprising. Uh, in particular, the mask work. Oh my like God. The wolf mask the wolf? and the two and the rat mask. The, yeah. Like, holy shit. The rat, the rat masks, the rat masks and wolf masks look absolutely incredible. Like they look really high end stuff, really impressive. Like this is not, you know, we, we, we just talked about the sort of DIY, like handmade, like nature of it. And that kind of makes you think like, oh, everything kind of looks like maybe like, like paper crafty or like using found objects to create different things. And yeah, there's that, some of that in there too, but when you see these masks, they look real. Like they look like the wolf mask in particular, how it moves, uh, looks so impressive. Yeah. So they're ridiculous. And he, they employ like a lot of different methods. Like there's stop motion in here. There's all kinds of different, like playing with perspective and stuff like that. And they, they do a lot to achieve the different, you know, visual, pieces of flair that we that we have in this movie and it's all it's all incredibly creative and and impressive so certainly that is like the number one takeaway from this movie is that it is just a visual feast it's just it's so much fun and then you you fold that into the score by dan deacon which is you know completely complements every moment of the movie it's an incredible score and the the cinematography is incredible too. Um, I don't know. Was this shot on sixteen millimeter? It looks, it looks I, like it I is. Think, I think, I think so. I, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. It looks like sixteen millimeters. It's got that really wonderful kind of uh, film grain look to it, and that I think also complements it. And then you have the world building. You know, that's that's another big thing. Is like. This isn't a movie that that completely takes place in this like 
you know, farcical dream world. Uh, a lot of it is grounded in sort of a near future. I think it's like 2030 something that it takes place. And yeah, 20, 2035, 2035, getting your, get your dreams audited, getting them taxed. Yeah. Which so, I like that too, the way that they built that. Sure. I mean, we've, that's not an entirely new concept. I mean, we've seen movies before that deal with, you know, the increasing, corporatization of everything even in like our dreams and stuff i can't even i i know that i've seen that concept in at least two other movies or, or shows where dreams are not maybe not taxed but advertise advertisers are featured in dreams that that yeah which is which is really nice the way that it's done here because it's not like they don't get lost you know in the weeds with it like they don't try and get too technical with like the the whole entire process. I like that it's pretty simple that he's inside the dreams. You can tell he's inside someone else's dreams auditing. You know, he's taking inventory. And I just like how the little circle comes up and like what you're getting taxed on is what like what's in your dream. If you have a an expensive violin in your dream, you owe 13 cents. And I just, that's like kind of, as deep as they go, which I appreciate it, is they don't get too stuck on like the the logistics of it. No, I like any movie that is that contains those sort of lo fi sci fi elements. Um one that immediately comes to mind is Lapsus, which comes out in a couple weeks actually, where oh, yeah. you, it takes place in this in this slightly futuristic world where you know, you see all these these elements that, that you don't we don't have right now in real life, but A, we can see that happening in the future, and B, it's developed in such a way that they don't feel the need to give us some kind of like exposition dump on just how it works. You know, we see it on screen and we can believe that it works without knowing the specific nuts and bolts of how it's done. Yeah. So I, I appreciated that. All the world building stuff I think is is great. I think that it it is an inherently fascinating world and especially how like they, you know, like the, when they first started recording the everybody's dreams and taxing them, every, everything was on VHS and then now they upgraded to this like, you know, smaller SD card style thing. In fact, it looked like, a, you know what it looked like? It looked like a Fitbit. And there's like a little charger for the Fitbit, and I'm pretty sure that's what that was. It looked like a Fitbit charger. I wouldn't be surprised. And another thing that I'm not 100% sure of, but I know a couple elements in this movie I've seen before in terms of Albert Bernie's other films. It seemed like there's characters and bits and pieces from all of his other work that came prior. So I like that little that little uh, aspect of it. Yeah. They did say in the Q and a that there's lots of little Easter eggs in there. And I, I like the idea of him making this kind of shared universe with his movies. I think that that would be cool. See like Silvio pop up there. Yeah. There looked, there looked like there was a guy that was, uh, what was it? Was his name Herbert? Yeah. The, uh, Herbert. Yeah. the Tux and Vanny character. Yeah, or no, the, for the Silvio, the little Silvio, he had that hand puppet. That oh yeah, I, no, you, I, <laughs> I thought that that was Tux and Fanny, but yeah, you're right. It was, 
It was the Silvio <laughs> world. I uh, love it. And there was the, the antler guy was from Beast Pageant. And I think I remember the grass man being from Beast Pageant as well, but I could be wrong. I like when the, the, the grass man turned into like the VHS tape man. Yeah, and I think that might have been a Beast Pageant too. I like the blue demon. I mean, there's just so many things in this that... Yeah, the I mean, way the way that the the real world would bleed into the dream world, and then there's like one scene where he's in, he's viewing one of the recorded dreams, and he gets knocked out. So he like he's still in that dream, but then he enters his own dream, and I thought that that was a really cool idea. There's just a lot of really there's just a lot of really great stuff in this. It it doesn't get you know one of again just one of my biggest concerns was that it would fall go too far into the weeds with the dream world stuff and that i would start to get pulled out i would start to get bored because that's for whatever reason that's what tends to happen with me in movies that that go into dream worlds like really deep and that never happened that never happened it always kept me engaged and the dream worlds were um interesting enough and entertaining enough and uh fun enough yeah and i think that's the issue a lot of times with people doing dream world stuff is they don't necessarily take full advantage of the fact that you can do whatever you want like i think that's the problem and a lot of times when they do dream world stuff is like they just don't have the imagination or the creativity for it where here it's literally like anything could happen and they can make anything and it can be fun as hell. And I like that that's essentially what they do is whether they're in a dream, he's stuck in his dream, or he, you know he's unconscious and he's moving between dreams and whatever. It's just they're always coming up with fresh inventive things to do within those worlds that makes you feel like, okay, this is warranted to be in dreams because we get to do this stuff. Uh, yeah, overall, uh, I had a really great time with it. I would highly recommend it. I think that this maybe this could be the movie that that completely breaks Albert Bernie out into the mainstream. It's still, I think, artful enough that it won't like. It's. it's yeah. I mean, it's it's still within that kind of quirky indie art house category, but I think that as far as like a maturity in his filmmaking goes that this is his most mature film yet and i think that it's only a matter of time before he hits it big i could see someone like disney you know snatching him up or something i hope not i like seeing what he can do with the with the small budget because i mean from what I've seen now between this, Silvio, the Beast Pageant, Tux and Fanny, you know, all those things, he can do a lot. And it's far more exciting than what big budget people do, you know, and spend their money with. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good point that maybe, you know, we've we've seen it before where, you know, directors have are able to do more things when they're limited when it's you know i i think a good example is like when you look at some of these directors that go to netflix and they just get like 
a blank check and they can do whatever they want. And it ends up being something that's like, you know, it could be really amazing. It could be the Irishman or it could be like something not so great. So <laughs> it's just, so, it's the, yeah, that is always odd that like, you know, you get that blank check and you just come up with like the most mundane thing. And it's like, really? <laughs> this is what you wanted to do with your blank check? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there might, might be more to it than that, but that's certainly the way it seems at least. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Let's go ahead and give uh, Strawberry Mansion a score. What, what are you going to give it out of 10? Uh, I'm going to give it an eight. eight. Eight and a half, maybe. I don't know. Eight. I'm sitting, I'm sitting at an eight on this one as well. I highly recommend it. I think that if you saw Silvio and you liked the the tone and the style of Silvio, that you're probably going to love this one. Can't wait for everybody to see it. Uh, I saw a couple other Sundance titles so far. I'm, I'm limiting the number of Sundance movies I see this year. I just I have very little time, but I did catch a couple other things, and I have a couple other things on my list that I'll be seeing. Uh, one is Superior. This is directed by Aaron Vesalopoulos. This is uh, this is another movie that shot on sixteen millimeter. Actually, it's a an an adaptation of or it's actually more of a sequel of sorts of a short film that she made in twenty fifteen. Uh, it stars Alessandra and Anna Marie Mesa or Mesa. They're they're twins, and it's it just sort of tells the story about these two uh, young women. Growing up, they both lead very different lives, even though they're identical twins. And one of them ends up being on the run from an abusive husband. And there is some uh, some drama that ensues from there. Uh, I quite liked it. I thought that it was maybe a little bit too long. It says 97 minutes on, on uh, Letterboxd, but I feel like it was longer than that. It felt longer. I could be wrong, but yeah, uh, which I think is a problem that happens with a lot of short films that later get adapted into a feature. It's just that they they tend to like overcompensate or something, and and it ends up being padded out. Yeah, uh, but overall, I I enjoyed it. I thought that it it, it, ha- it takes place in the 80s, so it takes place in 1987. So that coupled with the fact that it's shot on 16 millimeter, and they, and they don't overdo the 80s stuff. It's very understated. Now, I will say that, and again, this is like such a nitpick, but it still bothers me. There's like a couple scenes where they go into grocery stores, and the items on the shelf are clearly modern items. Mm. and Like modern packaging, too, which... Like kind of pulls you out of it a little bit, but they did a good job with everything else. Like everything else does look pretty of the era, but uh, yeah. So maybe maybe a light recommend for uh, Superior. Okay, still pretty excited for this. I think I think you'll like it. I I don't think you're gonna love it or anything. Okay, all right. Uh, I watched Calm with Horses. Directed by Nick Rowland. Came out a couple years back. This is available on Netflix now. This is the the one starring uh, Barry... Uh, what's his last name? Barry Keegan. Mm. Uh, first off, you got two great things going on here. That's the Irish landscapes. 
just absolutely stunning. Just a great setting. Uh, Cosmo Jarvis gives a wonderful performance, but everything else is just extremely well-worn territory. Uh, it's the, you know, a crime family, the Devers family. They have a drug dealing business in, in Ireland, you know, and of course the, they kind of own the town or whatever. And Cosmo Jarvis is the, he's the, he's the muscle. His name is Arm. He's a former boxer and now he works for them and he's kind of stuck being the muscle beating people up and whatnot. Uh, he, he, one of his jobs is that he's got to kill someone, but he can't do it. And you can guess what happens. You know, things start to fall apart. I mean, it's just an incredibly predictable film from beginning to end. I mean, I feel like I've seen this type of movie. I don't know how many times in my life. So I just kind of knew everything, you know, it's just far too familiar, mm. but you know, I get the, the Cosmo Jarvis performance made this watchable, you know, it made it that I was able to stick through it to the end. Cause if he was, if he wasn't delivering what he's delivering here, I probably would have just turned this off. Mm. Oh, that's, that sucks. I was actually somewhat interested in this one. Yeah, I was, I was pretty excited for this. Um, but like as soon as, as soon as like the pieces kind of like were introduced and set into place in the beginning of the movie, I was just like, Oh boy, I have a feeling that this is going to be like all those other films that I've seen. And I kind of held out hope that I would be proven wrong, but unfortunately I wasn't. Mm, okay. It looks like you still gave it a three out of three, three out of five on Letterboxd. So, yeah, and I, that was you know the initial where I was still kind of riding high on the on that performance. <laughs> okay, and I'm kind of thinking now, and I'm like, well, cooled on it. Yeah, like that performance is good. I would get, like he does a great job here, but I, yeah, I don't know about three stars. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I saw a movie called Knocking. This is directed by Frida Kempf. This is another Sundance movie. Uh, it's a Swedish film. It's about a woman who is, she's in an institution and she gets released from the institution and she gets a new apartment. And as she moves into this new apartment, she begins to hear a knocking on her ceiling. Mm -hmm. And she begins to believe that there is someone who needs help. And that's what the knocking is. And so the, the, the whole movie is a, is she crazy? Is it all in her head type of thing? Mm -hmm. And there's so much of that that happens in this movie that you're just like, what is going on here? Like, just, just reveal it for God's sake. We were just talking about this, you know, know. last week with St. Maud. And this movie does the same thing where everybody thinks she's crazy and the audience thinks I mean, we don't know. We don't know if she's crazy or not. But then, uh, you know, some there, there's some stuff happens, and by the end, when when it happens, you're just like, okay, uh, what the fuck was this other thing about? And like, I'm reading, I'm reading that like there's a lot of gaslighting in this movie, and I. I completely agree with some of the other people on Letterboxd who'd mentioned the, uh, <laughs> the the ridiculous amount of gaslighting that happens in this movie because some of it 
is it makes absolutely zero sense whatsoever like when you when you look at it and i can't give anything away but when you look at it you're just like that makes no sense it makes no sense so i'm sorry i can't recommend knocking i think that it has some really um interesting moments to it i think that it starts off promising but man it just it just doesn't work it just doesn't work hmm. yeah i think i'm just I'm done with those movies for a bit. I think I'm going to put a moratorium on those. I wasn't, well, I didn't know. I didn't really know it was like that going into it. I, I probably yeah, that's, what, that's what I mean. I, I, like, I appreciate you letting me know yeah. so I can avoid it. Uh, I saw The Devil's Reign from 1975, which boasts a, a tagline of absolutely the most incredible ending of any motion <laughs> picture (laughs) ever uh all right i mean as of 1975 yes the most incredible ending so as you can imagine from the outset i am absolutely amped to see how this you know how this thing plays out at the end i'm just waiting for the ending um but first i will say that it's it's got a really interesting structure to it because the way that this movie starts out is like, we're just thrown into the middle of this like big time thunderstorm, just absolute downpour in the desert, just lightning wind. All this stuff is going on. We're not entirely sure what the hell is happening. Like someone's missing apparently. Um, And then William Shatner comes home and you find out that he's been looking for his dad, his dad's missing. Okay. So you're getting like little bits piecemeal, but you're actually just like thrown into it, like right in the middle of like something that's happening. It's going on. Someone wants a book. Shatner's trying to find his dad. His dad's missing. Uh, His dad shows up a little bit later. He has no eyes. He has a wax face. He's also talking about a book and then he just melts in the rain just completely melts a lot of bubbling frothing like the the effects that go into the to these masks that these guys wear uh are pretty incredible because all their eyes are hollowed out they all have wax faces and uh the devil's rain melt Mm. so that's what you find out is that Ernest borgnine is he's been living for like 600 years and he's like top dog in the church of Satan and he wants his book back. So Shatner goes to a ghost town, ends up getting into a fight with uh, Ernest Borgnine, which is, he plays a guy named Corbus. And it's funny because Shatner shows up and he's like, Corbus, I'm going to destroy you because I have this emblem, this amulet that I'm wearing. You can't hurt me. And Corbus like literally destroys him within like five minutes. Just Shatner's done. Soul stolen, everything. Just becomes a hollow shell of a man. Just like that. This also has Tom Skerritt in it. He plays Shatner's brother. That comes later to try and, you know, help out. This is John Travolta's first role in a movie. Which also, according to trivia, that this is where he got into Scientology. Because of Joan Prather. Gave him a Dianetis book. So this is where it all started. Devil's Reign. Uh, and the ending is pretty incredible. 
It is the entire congregation of the, the Church of Satan, all their wax faces, masks melting in a torrential rainstorm, just moaning, a lot of frothing, hmm. just pastel goop pouring out of eyes, and they're just having an awful time. And it's it's uh it's pretty ridiculous. I mean, I'm definitely gonna have to add this to my it's on Amazon Prime. Uh Ernest Borgnine does turn into uh like a devil goat. Yeah, well this is already on my watch list, so <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah, we're we're definitely on there. I did a uh a little bit of an Indonesian horror double feature this weekend, uh with the Queen of Black Magic, which is directed by Kimo Stamboel, and he's one half of the Mo brothers. You have your uh, Kimo and Timo, and they're pretty much like the the main the main two dudes in Indonesian horror. They're they're sort of the guys who kicked off that kind of renaissance of Indonesian horror that's been that's been uh, popping up. And then you have another uh, guy, uh, Joko Anwar, who is another huge influencer in, in that that space of indonesian horror so i saw his movie impedagore now joko anwar mm-hmm. directed wrote and directed impedagore and he uh, wrote the queen uh the queen of black magic now the queen of black magic is actually a it's inspired by a a, a, a film of the same name i can't remember what year the original one came out it was like in the 60s or maybe early 70s that the original I never saw it uh, but it's sort of inspired by that and in fact in the ending credits of this movie they have like stills from the original movie which I thought was kind of a nice little touch but starting with the Queen of Black Magic this came out on Shudder uh, this weekend and it's about a a, a family of a family who the the dad and the family was raised in this orphanage and the sort of patriarch of the orphanage, the guy who ran the place is dying. So he gets a letter saying that, you know, this, this guy's dying. And if you want to say goodbye, come, come to the orphanage this weekend. So he goes, and then all of the other people who he, the, the kids who he grew up with in the orphanage come back as well to, to, you know, pay their respects and say goodbye. And, uh, as it turns out, there is a, a woman who is conjuring up some black magic here and mm-hmm. starts killing them and traps mm-hmm. them there. So like at one point they try to leave and it's just like a circle. So they just end up driving in circles so they can't get out. They're trapped there. And the, the stuff that this, uh, this person is doing is absolutely insane and horrific. Like she's making centipedes freaking go into people and explode out of their eye sockets and like forcing people to staple their mouths shut and uh, it just goes on and on from there it is uh, really gory really disturbing Uh, I loved where it went it turned out that it was like way deeper I mean it is a revenge story like most of these movies but the it was there was a little bit more depth than what I'm used to seeing in these types of movies. So I appreciated that. And the effects work was awesome. Like all of the centipede stuff was really gross. Uh, and it wasn't just centipedes, but like it's other, other bugs too. 
And there's this one scene when these little, like, they almost look like pill bugs or something. Um, mm. I, I, I don't know how, like, a, 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 what they actually were, but there was, like, thousands of them, and they burst out of someone's back, but oh, okay. before they burst out of their back, you could see, like, all of these bumps just appeared, and it's, it's like, red bumps, and it anybody who has tryptophobia will absolutely be triggered by this movie because that scene was so like just made my skin just crawl but uh yeah some very shocking moments in this uh really intense but i do recommend it that's the queen of black magic uh really briefly the other one that i saw in pedagore this is also a a revenge story of sorts Uh, It starts off with this woman who is a toll booth worker and a man comes up to her and asks her if she's this person. She's like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. The guy goes back to his car, gets a machete, tries to kill her. She survives. The man gets shot and dies. But before he dies, he he mentions something about this village. So she does some digging and it turns out that like she actually grew up in this village, but she was really, really young when she left and she didn't remember anything. And her her parents had died, so she couldn't really ask. So she and her best friend go to this village to figure out what's going on, and they see that it turns out that she was part of this really really wealthy family, and that she that like the the sort of mansion that she lives in in this village is is empty, but there's a curse, and what's happening to everyone in this village is every child born in this village is born without skin. What? Yeah. So every time there's a baby born, it has no skin. That's fucked up and disgusting. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so what this movie, it's sort of like a twist on the Texas chainsaw massacre. Now this is like my, just my opinion there's no, I mean, the influence is there. Like, there's no way that uh, Joko Anwar was not influenced by a Texas Chainsaw Massacre when you see this movie. But it's it's far from like a remake or a reimagining. It's just like he took certain aspects of that movie and put them into this and sort of created his his own spin. And that's sort of what he does. Like he's he's he did um, the remake of uh, Satan's Slaves, and when you look at Satan's Slaves and Pedagore and uh, Queen of Black Magic, like those movies, even though they were perhaps inspired by other movies, they're nowhere close to being the same. So you can't really say that his Satan's Slaves remake is actually a remake at all because it's it's very wildly different. It just contains some of the same themes. And, you know, the the connections to Texas Chainsaw and this are basically the the village is sort of like the family and they believe that they can remove the curse by uh s- removing the skin from the ancestor of this family in in this case the daughter who goes to the village they want to remove her skin and turn it into leather and uh you know You'll have to watch it to see where it goes, but uh, it's another movie that's very gory, and uh, I, I liked it. I actually liked it quite a bit. So both both of them are on Shutter, and I can definitely recommend both of them: Impedigore and The Queen of Black Magic. So check it out if you're looking for some 
really creepy, uneasy, disturbing Indonesian horror. Wow. The only other thing that I watched, uh, which I won't really talk about too much because you already talked about it, and that's the Mieke movie, uh, As the Gods Will. Ah, nice. Which, uh, god damn, this is the, that is like hitting like the exact spot that I wanted, where it's like, it's kind of fun and it's kind of fucked up and gross, but it's just like deranged fun. And I'm just absolutely loving just the overall tone of it, just everything about it. It's just incredible. I mean, it's definitely reminiscent of Battle Royale, I think, tonally. Where Yeah, but like the little games and it's just really interesting to see the little games that they're playing. Right. And you know, like (laughs) the effects work is just so ridiculous. And I was really surprised because like I don't a hundred percent remember like what we talked about, but I remember you telling me about, you know, the, the like red light, green light game with the guy spinning around and your head explodes. Right. So I was thinking that there would kind of be like a lead up into that, but that's like <laughs> immediate. <laughs> the movie opens with like half the kids already dead. Yeah. And I was so confused. Cause I'm like, what the f- wait, like, did I accidentally hit? Like, am I halfway through the movie? Like, what the fuck happened? I, I felt the same thing. It's just, I was so confused. And I just, I just absolutely love it. It's just everything that I was hoping it to be. And kind of like what I was imagining in my head. And it was that. Which is just wonderful when that works out. Are you familiar with the Netflix series Alice in Borderland? Have you seen anything no. about that? Mm-mm. You should check that out. It's a, it's a... Japanese series it's on Netflix and it's about a uh, group of friends who all of a sudden uh, Tokyo is completely empty and they're the only people in Tokyo and then it turns out that they're they've been transported somewhere or are involved in something that involves games so they have to compete in these games and win Uh, if, if you don't win you die and there's all these different games and you, you earn days get added to your visa as they call it. So if you win one of the games, you get three, three days added onto your visa before you have to play another game. It's uh, really good. It sounds interesting. Yeah. The, the first season's out on Netflix. It's, it's just a lot of fun. It's very similar to the, to that movie. That's why I was thinking of it because it, it involves games. Some of them are, you know, more are like kids games. Like there's like a hide and seek one that they have to do. And each episode pretty much is, involves a different game. But then obviously as in, you know, just like any other manga or anime, it gets way more <laughs> convoluted and complicated as it goes on. But uh, it's, it's quite good. I'm, I'm excited. They, they did green like the second season. So I'm excited for that. Okay. I'm going to have to check that one out. Let's talk about some VOD stuff. On February 2nd, we got Hellcat. Fight your demons, yeah. save your soul. This is about, a, about Katrina, who's a washed-up MMA fighter who must get back to the ring and fight in a tournament to save her son's life. But, the, but here's the thing. The tournament's in hell, and she'll have to yes. fight her way past man, beasts, and demons that haunt her from within. Yes. So, 
There you go, Hellcat. We got tribes on the edge. Their survival could mean ours. So let's hope that they survive. We got On Thin Ice. It's a documentary about the Olympic struggle for equality in sports. We got Fake Famous. This is on HBO. This is about influencers and some kind mm-hmm. of like social experiment where like the filmmaker tries to create famous influencers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I see enough influencer stuff in my, in my real life. I just don't need it. I don't need mm-hmm. to see a documentary about it. Uh, we have First Blush. It's a looks like a romantic comedy, maybe. Uh, we have Four by Four. This one, this one interests me. This is a Spanish film about a a thief who decides that he wants to rob this car, but it turns out that the car is like has all these super high tech. Um, mechanisms in it like defense mechanisms and the car like it traps him inside and he can't figure out a way to get out of the car oh that's right up your alley (laughs) yeah so it yeah i'll be i'll definitely be checking this out and apparently it's inspired by a true story so i'm not exactly sure what happened with that true story uh yeah Definitely be checking that out, though. We have Balloon Man coming out. This is a documentary about a uh, a former football player who becomes the first African-American hot air balloon master. Okay. Uh, We have, on the 4th, A Nightmare Wakes. That's going to be on Shudder. And that is a... uh, It's about Mary Shelley. Actually, Mary Shelley descends into an opium-fueled fever dream while carrying on a torrid love affair with Percy Shelley. As she writes, the characters of her novel come to life and begin to plague the relationships with those closest to her as the shadow of her monster threatens to overcome her. Ooh. Yeah. So if you're... Yeah, it looks like a lot of kind of surreal surreal nightmare sequences in that one so maybe it's worth a look again that's on shutter february 5th we have bliss coming to amazon prime this is a sci-fi movie with owen wilson and selma hayek this is the one where they discover i guess owen wilson discovers that he's like living in a simulation so it's like a matrix you know type scenario Oh. oh okay yeah we have also very similarly, we have a glitch in the Matrix coming out, which is the latest documentary from Rodney Asher. He's the he's the guy who did Room Two Thirty Seven and The Nightmare. This one is about the simulation theory, where you know we're all living in a simulation. So mm-hmm. eh, I'll probably check that out too. I like Rodney Asher. I think that his stuff is really rough around the edges, but I just like his subjects and stuff like i was really fascinated by the nightmare the whole sleep paralysis thing oh yeah uh we also have the reckoning this is uh the this is the the neil marshall one that i saw it i think it was fantasia fest that's really really bad so very much avoid that one 
We have Set Free Posse, which is a documentary about a Christian biker gang. We have, <laughs> yeah, we have Payback. This is a crime thriller. Son of the South. This is about a, a, a guy who is the grandson of a Klansman who, in the 1960s, joins the Civil Rights Movement. We have Little Fish starring Olivia Cook and Jack O'Connell. Love is unforgettable. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, takes place in a world where a pandemic has broken out in which it causes the victims to lose all their memories. Okay. Didn't we see... There was a short film that had mm-hmm. the exact same premise where there was some kind of pandemic where you lose your memory. Uh, I, I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. I don't know. Chad Hardigan directed this. I, yeah. I, I, I'm not... I know that I'm not making that up. I know that there's... Which has me interested. Like, it, that, that synopsis doesn't sound that great, but I've enjoyed Chad Hardigan movies in the past. Did Chad... Is this an adaptation? Did, like, Chad Hardigan direct... Perhaps direct a short film that had the same... I don't think so. I don't so. think so. Uh, dude, I know for a fact that I saw a short film that had this exact same premise. Like, I remember. I remember. Well, apparently you don't remember enough. No, I remember. I Like, I remember what happens in it. Like, they, it, it's in this kind of dystopian future, and they are trying to, it's a couple, and they're trying to find each other. Like, they lose each other, and they're trying to find each other. Hmm. Oh my god! All right, well, hmm. I'm gonna have to figure this out because you gotta figure it out. But like, I'm wondering if I wrote about it. I don't know if I. <sighs> Wait a second! Wait a second here. Hmm. I think I'm on to this. I think I, I think I got something. Embers. Yes. Is that it? Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Oh, man. I had to look up Jason Ritter, because I knew Jason Ritter was in it. Yeah, yeah. But I couldn't remember the, yeah. Claire Carey. Yeah, I remember that movie. Yeah, you wrote a review on it. Yeah. But it's the same premise, isn't it? You forget, you forget. Yeah, it kind of sounds like it. Hmm, interesting. Anyway, (laughs) now that that mystery's solved... So glad. <laughs> Got it. Uh, all right. Let's see. We we also have two of us. This is a virtual theatrical release. Uh, Magnolia is putting that out. We have Reunion. This is a, a horror horror film. Every family has a legacy. Hmm. We have the right one. Yeah, of course. Reunion looks like another one of these, you know, Ari Aster style things. We have the right one. This is a Romantic comedy from the producer of Joy and Invincible. Okay. We have The Wanting Mare. This is uh, one that, oh, that movie, se- seems like you'd be into, this one. This movie's finally coming out, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about that? I believe that that is it. Pretty, pretty big number of titles coming out this week. So... Quite a few that I'm interested in there. Blu-ray. Let's take a look at this. 
We have Mouse Hunt from 1997, Small Soldiers from 1998, Do the Right Thing from 89 is coming out on 4K. I would still recommend the Criterion version of this one, though, just for all of the bonus content that it contains. Let Him Go, yeah. this was from early, from last year. We've got Ladybugs from 1992, starring Rodney Dangerfield. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ladybugs. Uh, the last blockbuster host, which is uh, available on Shutter, that's the one that takes place during the pandemic, and it's quite good. Uh, Dark Intruder from 1965, Yours, Mine, and Ours from 2005. Uh, the cover makes it look like the cheaper by the dozen cover. I think there's another movie that has like the exact same cover, and I'm pretty sure it might be cheaper by the dozen. The Great Alligator from 1979. Uh, there's another version of Do the Right Thing that's coming out, which is a Target exclusive steel book. Once again, I still recommend the Criterion version. Tesla from last year. Lassie, the 1994 version. Horror Noir, History of Black Horror. That's again on Shudder. Uh, Shin Godzilla is coming out. Oh, there's mm-hmm. like a new, a new version of that one coming out. Nice. Oh, by the way, I don't know if you saw the Ultraman trailer, but the director of Shin Godzilla is making a live-action Ultraman movie, and it looks so awesome. I cannot wait. Not, I, didn't, I didn't hear anything about that. I cannot wait. I retweeted it, so if you look at my um, Twitter, you'll, you'll see the link there. It's just like a teaser, so it's only like 35 seconds, but holy crap. Can't wait. Yeah. Uh, let's see. A Man Called Adam from 1966, starring Sammy Davis Jr. The Norseman from 1978, Voyage into Space from 1970. Got Prime coming out from 2005. Prime. The Fifty Shades Trilogy is coming out. That's a Target exclusive as well. Ooh. La Casa from, I think that's from last year. Wait, did you say that there was a Target exclusive? I did. You can only get it at Target. Only at Target. Yes, I'm saying you can only get the Fifty Shades trilogy at Target. You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> yep. Oh, God. There's a lot of these like retailer specific editions of things, and I just usually I don't mention them, but they happen a lot. Wow. Uh, Balloon Man, Trides on the Edge, Concrete Savannah. These are all newer. These are all new new releases coming out. Uh, to Tokyo from I'm not sure when that came out that's that's hitting Blu-ray this week as well as First Blush and Sky Sharks what? yeah Sky Sharks Sky Sharks? yep yeah deep deep in the ice deep in the ice of the Antarctic a team of geologists uncover an old Nazi Laboratory still intact where dark experiments had occurred. They modified sharks who were able to fly. Mm-hmm. And they had riders, shark riders. What? You know, one of these days I wish that one of these crazy, like, you know, Sky Sharks movies gets, had like a really big budget behind it just to see how much better, like, you know, if, if it had like real actors in it and a really big budget effects budget and stuff like just to see it should do that just once yeah just once 
I think, be, I think it'd be a lot of fun. Uh, all right, anything on Criterion this week? No, but I'm hoping for Sky Sharks at some point yeah. to be announced. Sky Sharks. Don't, don't, well, don't, don't hold your breath on that one. Uh, all right, I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can send your questions and topics to podcast.filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at FilmPulse.net and at FilmPulseKevin. And if you have a minute, consider reviewing us on iTunes. We'd appreciate that very much. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name is Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week. <laughs>